Welcome to This is Catholic. My name is Emily Anazelli, and I'll be your host as we explore what it means to be Catholic today and how that's changing. I'm going to say a word, and you tell me what it reminds you of. Christmas. Time. Bread. Med. Med. Mix. Peanut butter. And jelly. Everybody. Party. (laughs) Party. Do more. Do more. All right. Real. Meal. Presents. Real presents. Real presents is the topic for this episode. When I say presents, I don't mean gifts. I mean being present, really being somewhere. But the term has a technical meaning too. Real presence refers to the belief that Jesus is really present in the Eucharist and not just metaphorically present. Although the term is relatively new to me, I first encountered this concept when I was seven years old and received communion for the first time. So, along with Professor Jensen, I have two very special people joining me today. Hello, my name is Katie Grace. How how old are you? Nine. Katie Grace has received her first communion, but our other guest has not. Have you ever gotten communion? No. Like, what's supposed to happen with communion? Um, you have to eat, but um, you have to eat Jesus's body. Do you did it? Do you think it tastes like his body? No. What do you think about that? Does that make sense to you? No. Does it make sense to you? Sort of, yes. Can you explain it to us? Um, not right now. I don't know that I could explain it either. So I asked Professor Jensen. Okay, so my first communion, I remember very little about it. The image that came to mind when you asked the question was a photograph of me that's a very small square photograph from my parents' camera. And there I'm kneeling at the altar rail all by myself in a white shirt uh, with my hands folded. So what strikes me in that memory is, one, I'm all by myself and, uh, you know, and kneeling at the altar rail, looking at who knows what. <laughs> and I'm six years old and have my hands very nicely folded. And that's it. Do you have a lot of pictures of yourself as a child? I have a good number, and I do have a photograph album that I kept pretty well up until, say, my sophomore year of high school. I probably started that photograph album at, at the end of my eighth grade when I was headed off to seminary and I had lots of pictures and things. So yeah, I've got a pretty good record of, of my childhood. Katie Grace also has a lot of pictures of her childhood, even though she's only nine. Oh, look, can I just see that picture? Yeah, what is that a picture of? My first Holy Communion. I don't remember my dress. That's a good one. Oh, there's Katie. <laughs> oh, I like that one. Oh, with my gold hat. With your gold hat heels. Can you tell us about your first communion? Um, I was very nervous. Mm-hmm. Because it was the 
it was obviously obviously my first time mm-hmm. uh, ever um, receiving the sacrament of the Holy Communion. I remember, but I can't really explain it. it it's been a long time. It's been about eight months. It was 2017. Was it in 2017 that she mm-hmm. got her communion? You're right. It was. It was in May of 2017, yeah. What Do you remember learning um, anything before you did? You got your communion? We went on this tour, and it was at this um, church. It was, I forget what the church was called, but it was like a really pretty pretty church and that was like that was sort of like a field trip it was a pilgrimage I have to say it wasn't the exciting this thing ever <laughs> uh yeah, yeah and we went on a bus and that was really fun and then I got a couple like gifts a saint keychain of saint um mother Teresa and that was really nice I don't remember much about my first communion either. Religious-themed presents, a scratchy dress. I definitely don't remember what I was taught beforehand, although I remember trying to understand how a piece of bread could be somebody's body but still look like bread. I remember finally realizing that the priest must be magic. Anyone who can change one thing into another must be magic, especially if they wear long robes and use incense and chant things. And I had always felt deep down inside that I was magical. So I announced around the time of my first communion that I wanted to become a priest one day. Here's what Professor Jensen remembers leading up to his first communion. I'm sure much of my first grade in a Catholic school in the catechism class was about communion and all. I remember almost nothing about it. Uh, I remember... I do remember a really great emphasis on the fact that we couldn't eat or drink from midnight on, not even have a drink of water. Vaguely remember that one person in the first communion class actually had gotten a drink of water or whatever, and so that person was not allowed to make the first communion, had to wait till the next day, which was a school day. There was mass every morning at 8.15, as I recall, and it was mandatory for, for all of us. But anyway, so this one boy or girl, I think it was probably a boy, who had eaten or drank water, wasn't allowed to make his first communion with the rest of us and had to do it separately on the next day. And uh, I'm sure there was great emphasis on the fact that you couldn't go to communion if you committed a sin, but uh, I don't remember being all that worried about that. I do know that we, we had to make our first confession like the Friday before, and I don't remember anything about that. So... I find it very interesting that as important as communion has come to be in my theology, my memory of First Communion is very vague, and everything I remember about it is there was much more focus on the event rather than the significance. What has become, for me at least, the center of my Catholic faith and practice, the idea that communion, and communion being inclusive to everybody and not just about me, and that communion being nourishment for my becoming the presence of Jesus, as opposed to the idea of me kneeling there uh, with my hands folded and all, and somehow praying to Jesus uh, in front of the tabernacle or or whatever. None of that is bad, but it's not what communion is about. What is communion all about? That's what we're talking about today, and that's where the idea of real presence comes in. 
what I would start, or where I would start, is uh, fundamental in Catholic practice and Catholic teaching. I'd say from earliest time kid shows up in kindergarten, Bible school, or Sunday school, whatever, is the idea of the real presence of Jesus in the Eucharist. This really is the body and blood of Jesus, even though it still looks like bread, it tastes like bread, it still looks like wine, it tastes like wine. And I don't want to take anything away from that. What I would rather want to emphasize is that that's not the whole story. If you stop there, you miss what is most important. You can create your own environment where you will experience real presence. One of the things that is so foundational for my faith and my life is that I am the image and likeness of God. And I don't say I am God, but I let God become present in me so that I can strive to be God's presence for others. Real presence is something that everybody has. No one can take away from you. You can choose to hide it, but it is something that can never be taken away from you. Go back to the very first page of almost every Bible. If it's not the first page, it's the second page. But every single human is the image and likeness of God. Then God said, let us make humankind in our image according to our likeness. And the meaning of the words there, image and likeness, you go back to the ancient time in Babylon, you know, Hammurabi's code is the best example. But Hammurabi's law code was inscribed on black basalt pillars. And at the top of the pillar, you had the Babylonian god Marduk giving the law to King Hammurabi. And then, you know, that's an image at the top. But then below, you have an enormously long text of the law. And these monuments were made and put up all around the Babylonian Empire, but especially around the edges. And these monuments were called images and likenesses. And they were meant to be the presence of Hammurabi, the presence of Marduk giving the law to Hammurabi in all the places that Hammurabi couldn't be. Because Hammurabi is a human, he's king and all, but he can't be everywhere. And so the image and likeness was the presence of Hammurabi enforcing Marduk's wonderful law which was all about equality and all the great things that we would like a justice system to be about, everywhere in the kingdom. And so that humans are created as the image and likeness of God, humans are created to be the real presence of the God of creation wherever they find themselves. And that applies to every single human. Now, that doesn't mean every human is necessarily going to live that out. But every human is the image and likeness of God. Every human is the real presence of the Creator God in the same way that Hammurabi's, the, the stele, were to be the presence of Marduk uh, and all. So you begin, you know, real presence is something that doesn't begin with Jesus. It's something that is on the very first page of the Bible. And the very first thing that religion has to offer in terms of what it means to be human. To be human is to be the presence of God, the image and likeness of God. And so in that sense, the Catholic celebration of the Eucharist is a reaffirmation and a strengthening of 
this presence of God that humans were created to be in the first place. And that one concept of what it means that Jesus is the Messiah is that in Jesus and in the way Jesus' life is depicted and reflected in the Gospels and in the preaching, Jesus is the image and likeness of God par excellence that humans were created to be in the first place. Let's go back and look at the development of the idea of real presence. Because even if it doesn't start with Jesus, it certainly gets applied to him. At his last meal, Jesus takes bread and he breaks it and he says, this is my body. We see this in Matthew's gospel, Mark's gospel, Luke's gospel, and in Paul's letter to the Corinthians. And he takes a cup of wine and blesses it and says, this is my blood. And Jesus says, this is my body, this is my blood. It's real. In Luke's gospel, Jesus says, do this in memory of me. And that's taken in Catholicism as a command to repeat. But in both Paul and in Luke, Jesus says, do this in memory of me. That's the English translation. Forget about the English translation. Because the word memory in English is somewhat of an abstraction. What is a memory? It is a mental idea or a mental recall of something from the past. Here's Katie Grace with an example of a memory. Do you have any pets? Yes, I have a dog named Puck and I, ha I used to have a hamster named Charlotte. What happened to her? She died a year ago. What's a memory that you have of Charlotte? Uh, for Christmas, she got a lot of sunflower seeds. But the Eucharist isn't like that. Here's Professor Jensen again. And what Jesus meant, the, the, the words that he spoke in Aramaic, contributes much more to the understanding of real presence. Because in Jesus' Aramaic, what the disciples heard and what the Aramaic words would mean is, do this to make me present. The word is zakar, Z-K-R in Roman alphabet. But uh, so that zakar has the whole concept of making present as opposed to remembering. And so this comes right out of the Judaism where for example, at the Passover, and the celebration of the Passover, they do not tell the story of what happened back then. They tell the story of how God is delivering them today. We are slaves in Egypt, and God is saving us now. They didn't have television, and they, you know, you had oral storytelling and the imagination. And in the story, and as you're picturing it in your mind, the story is happening now, and what God is doing is not something that God did in the past, but much more important is something that God is doing now. Instead of remembering something that happened in the past, in the telling of that event, you make that event and the power of the event present now. It's not a perfect analogy, but rather than remembering the hamster, it's like playing with the dog. Hi, Hi, where are you? A good boy? I think so. 
all the descriptions of the risen Jesus after he's been dead and buried, when he appears in the Gospels, every single time you've got people gathered, they're talking about their memories of Jesus and they're talking about their scriptures. Mm -hmm. And in the sharing of their memories and in the sharing of the, the word in communion, they experience the real presence. And in every case in the Gospels, they're eating. The early gathering of Christians is described as the breaking of the bread, which is the beginning of a, a Jewish meal. You take the bread and break it, and you say, blessed are you, Lord God of the universe. Uh, but you know, just as in the time that Jesus was physically alive as a human, he shared many meals with his disciples, and he shared many meals with people that didn't believe in him, and it, real presence was there. And, you know, I, I love that in the multiplication of the loaves and fishes, all six times that story is told, nowhere does Jesus say, look, you've got to believe. <laughs> but if you don't believe, the multiplication isn't for you. That, uh, and so my own conviction is that any meal, in that meal, you can have real Eucharist. And it doesn't take hands laid on the mother or the father to make Jesus present. Jesus can show up wherever Jesus wants. And that every meal can be a presence with Jesus, just as in Jesus' lifetime, every meal. And it's real. And the sharing of the meal is for everybody that's there. The idea is that when Catholics go to Mass and the priest says, this is my body, this is my blood, as a Catholic, you know that it is the body and blood of Jesus. I'm ordained as a deacon, not as a priest, so you know, if I said, this is my body and this is my blood, uh, the church would say, wait a second, um, that's not quite the same thing because you're, you, you're not ordained as a priest. Or if any woman or any layperson said, this is my body, this is my blood, uh, it doesn't happen. And I would back off and say, wait a second. The most you could say is it may not happen. But don't tell Jesus where he can show up or not show up. Jesus can show up wherever he wants to and be really present wherever he wants to. In talking about real presence, that it is bigger than just the Eucharist. The Catholic Eucharist, the Mass, has three components. One of those is word. When we gather, we listen to three scripture readings. And there's always one from what Christians call the Old Testament. There is always one from usually the letters of Paul, sometimes from Acts of the Apostles. And then there's one from one of the four Gospels. These all come from the scripture that I'd say all Christians call the Word of God. Now, it's not a matter that they call it the Word of God because Christian faith is that it is the Word of God. And the Word of God is living and active and effective. And Jesus, in Christian theology, is the Word of God made flesh. John chapter 1, the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And so 
In the reading of the scriptures, in the first part of the Catholic Mass, you have absolute real presence of Jesus, the Word of God, and that Word is proclaimed and received by those who hear it, who then become the Word of God in terms of how they proclaim and live it out. And I would say this applies to Protestants. And, you know, the Word of God is the Word of God. The effect of hearing the Word of God and receiving it then allows you and your speech to become the Word of God, and that is real presence. And so you have real presence in the Word. You have real presence in the shared meal. And it's that sharing is the third aspect of real presence. Because just as powerful as Jesus' words, this is my body, this is my blood, and just as powerful as this is the word of God, is what Jesus said, wherever two or three are gathered in my name, I am there in the midst of them. Now that's real presence. Just as real as this is my body, this is my blood. Where do you find the resurrected Jesus in the world today? You find the resurrected Jesus, real presence, where believers are gathered to share the word, to share the meal, and to share each other's company. When I share the meal, I become real presence, you become real presence, and my words become God's words, your words become God's words, and you become the real presence, any respect or whatever that I might want to offer to the bread and wine just sitting out separate, I have to show that same respect and reverence and worship for the person beside me. And I would not make fun of or take away from adoration of the Blessed Sacrament, uh, devotion to the Blessed Sacrament, but it is much more, you know, it is much bigger than that. If you worship the bread and wine as the real presence of Jesus, but then can't see the real presence of Jesus in the person next to you or the people around you, um, the bread and wine is totally insignificant. It is only significant in terms of where two or three are gathered, there I am in the midst. It's only significant in the living word that has been proclaimed, you've heard, and then you go out and proclaim. And it's only significant in you becoming the real presence of Jesus so that your words are Jesus' words, your actions are Jesus' words. And that begins to mend the brokenness in the same way that Jesus, in the time he was physically present on earth as the human that lived and died and is now resurrected, but is resurrected and present within believers, continuing to do exactly what Jesus did back then. That's what Eucharist is about. And so Eucharist nourishes the real presence that we already are within us. Well, I wanted to go back to one thing you said, which was about two or more believers gathered. Does it have to be believers? I mean, that brings up a whole other issue of who gets to participate in Catholic Eucharist. It's regular practice in the Catholic Church to put in the bulletin or the flyer or the leaflet, whatever it is that they give, the instructions for communion, that if you are not a Catholic, if you 
you know, do not share our faith, then please do not come up to communion. Or it will even be announced verbally at the time of communion. But if the whole purpose of Eucharist is to create an environment where the real presence can be experienced, it doesn't make sense to require that people say the words and say, I believe this, before you give them the possibility of experiencing it. And I would say because of that, far too many Catholics really don't experience real presence, even though they can say the words or to me, the whole point of the sharing of the meal is the environment where you can experience and then grow in faith because faith is not just reciting words. I mean, to me, real faith is, is knowing something is real as opposed to just saying it. And so I would like to see the whole, the church's whole attitude change in terms of communion. We invite everybody and this is an environment where mm -hmm. some of us experience real presence. And so we invite you to come and find that experience and let your faith grow as opposed to setting up a barrier and saying, right. if you are not a Catholic, then please do not come up to communion. If Eucharist is meant to be inclusive, if it's meant to be communion, and the point is to create an environment where people can experience the real presence of the risen Jesus. When you've got something in a printed program or you have somebody who gets up and announces that if you do not share our belief, please do not participate. Uh, in one sense, that invalidates the whole meaning of Eucharist. And it invalidates the word communion that we call it. We're denying people the possibility of experiencing the real presence of Jesus. And if we continue to deny it, it's not very likely that they're going to find it. One of the things when I'm trying to help people get ready for marriage is to suggest that they begin at least once a week with a meal together in which they treat the meal like a Eucharist. And I say, don't worry about the fact that you're not ordained. Jesus can show up wherever he wants. But have one meal a week where you're going to talk about some scripture. You're going to talk about your life together. You're going to talk about the presence of God in the, in the life-giving food that you're eating. And you begin to practice that, and I could almost guarantee you're going to ex begin to experience real presence in a way that may even speak more effectively to you than what you find at Mass. The Catholic doctrine says that it's real whether you experience it or not, on the other hand, I think you can really nurture that you know, in your life. And so having a family meal once a week at a minimum in which you really focus on Eucharist and all the things that you have to be thankful for, you can create your own environment where you will experience real presence. And I'd go back to what I started with too that when we are created as the image and likeness of God, we are then given God's power to continue the creative work of God. And, you know, part of what it means to be human is to continue to perfect God's already good creation. And, again, it would be Eucharist, our 
communal sharing of the meal, uh, which nourishes the divine life within us, uh, and I'd say maintains uh, and supports that ability to continue God's creative work. But, you know, to be the image and likeness of God, then to be given, uh, you know, responsibility for all the rest of God's creation and uh, uh, to spread out and fill the universe with God's presence. And the way we fill the universe with God's presence is the continued nourishment uh, of that, you know, and all. So um, the important thing is real presence is not narrow just in the bread and wine. Real presence especially is real presence within us. Thank you for listening to this episode of This is Catholic. And thank you very much to Professor Jensen and to Katie Grace and Will. What does it mean to be Catholic? That we believe in God. I think it means we believe in poop. I think. Seriously? Seriously. Do you think there's anyone in the world who doesn't believe in poop? Yes. No. Just yes. kidding. No, yeah. We'd no, love to hear no, your no. thoughts on what it means to be Catholic. You can contact us through our website, www.thisiscatholic.com.